Hello, I'm Dr. Louise Newson, and welcome to my podcast. I'm a GP and menopause specialist, and I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. I'm also the founder of the Menopause Charity and the Menopause Support App called Balance. On the podcast, I will be joined each week by an exciting guest to help provide evidence-based information and advice about both the perimenopause and the menopause. So today on my podcast, I'd like to introduce to you Georgina, who I've known for a few years now, who is a very inspirational person who has grown with a lot of this because she's had to be quite feisty and be a real advocate for herself and her treatment. But she hasn't given up and I'm really pleased that she's a lot better than she was, but she's very kindly agreed to talk a bit about her experience. So thanks, Georgina, for coming today. Thank you for having me. So do you mind me asking how old you are? I am now 25. So you're now 25 and you're talking on a menopause podcast. So that means you must be, well, not doesn't mean you must be, but it's highly likely that you're menopausal. Is that right? It is. So 25-year-old menopausal. So I was just Googling, in case things had changed over the last few years, when I Google menopause and go to images, and it still comes up as the grey-haired woman with a fan. Now, you do not look like a grey-haired woman and you haven't got grey hair and you certainly haven't got a fan. And so it can be really difficult for women, for men, for healthcare professionals, for media, for anybody actually, to think that the menopause affects people who are not over the age of 50. And there are a lot of people like you around, aren't there? There are, unfortunately. Yeah. So tell me, how old were you when you were diagnosed as being menopausal? So when I was diagnosed, I was 21. However, I'd been seeking a diagnosis from about 15 or 16 years old. So did your period start sort of naturally or what happened? So they started when I was about 14, but they were never regular or consistent. So I'd have maybe a period and then there'd be three or six months and then another one. And then I had a horrendous run where I bled for about 12 weeks. And that's when I actually went to the doctors to try and find out what's going on. And what happened then? I got referred to see a specialist because they saw that like my oestrogen and my testosterone were all fairly low. And I went over to Salford Royal to see a consultant endocrinologist who unfortunately wasn't the best. So how old were you then when you went to the consultant? I think with the delays in having all the blood tests and everything done, by the time I actually got to see him, I think I was about 18 at that point. Right. But he made quite a big deal about me being in a same-sex relationship and not to worry because the only effect of having a menopause so early is fertility and I don't need to worry about that because there'll always be two wombs in my relationships. Gosh. So I, I didn't do anything further than that after that situation until I saw another menopause specialist when I was a bit older, about twenty twenty one. So you had a few years then of not having any help? Yeah. I felt quite embarrassed and I didn't feel at that point I had the strength to carry on pushing when I was struggling kind of physically and mentally at the same time I I didn't feel like I had that internal strength to fight for myself. And were you getting symptoms at that time? Yeah I had a really really low mood horrendous fatigue and muscle pains and joint pains and hot flushes and night sweats were the worst for me but I think until it got to a point where I felt so low in my mental health that I, I felt like I needed to seek help that kind of spurred me to do it but it had to get bad enough if that makes sense. 
Yeah, which it does make sense, but it's very sad that you had to do that. So when you went to see the consultant who focused on your fertility and outrageously said that it didn't matter if you couldn't get pregnant because your partner could get pregnant, um, did you have explained any symptoms then at the time? He didn't really want to hear. I, I don't think he was very interested, to be fair. I don't think people understand the impact that it has on your life, especially when you're so young and you know you've got to have it forever, really. Mm. <laughs> and at the time, did you know anything more about POI or premature ovarian insufficiency or menopause? Did you know anything about the sort of health risks or was it just the symptoms that you were really seeking help for? So I am quite lucky to have a mum who is a healthcare professional who's quite, she's feisty herself and she's very intelligent and knowledgeable. So she was constantly behind me, pushing me because she obviously knew of the adverse health effects of being deficient in your hormones for so long. So a lot of thanks to your mother, actually, because just for everyone to know, with we call it premature ovarian insufficiency POI, which actually affects one in 100 women under the age of 40, one in 1,000 under the age of 30. So more common than actually a lot of other diseases and conditions. But we do know that a lot of women have the same menopausal or perimenopausal symptoms that we get when we're older. Quite a few women actually have less symptoms. I don't know why. But also every single woman who has low hormones has an increased risk of disease, like you know, Jadina, but the risk of diseases such as heart disease, osteoporosis, diabetes, dementia, clinical depression. Even some studies have shown things like lung diseases, actually, because we've got estrogen receptors in our lungs, psychosis, even drug addiction, kidney disease. You know, I'm sorry, this is quite doom and gloom, but you do know, because hormones are very important, very anti-inflammatory in our body. The good news, however, is that if women have their hormones replaced, the risk of those diseases really does reduce because you're just replacing what's missing. So although it is bad news, it's, there is a good news side of it. As long as women can access the help and get the right hormone replacement, because that can really make a big difference. And the problem is also is when you've had a diagnosis like that, of course, it's going to play on your mental state. And I see and speak to a lot of women who are told, well, of course, you are going to feel like that because you've just been told, you know, you can't have children or whatever. But actually, even without that news, you haven't got the hormones in your brain working in the same way. So your brain is not going to function. And you felt firsthand how the lack of hormones to your brain was. Yeah, I think that was quite apparent in work because I was struggling to retain information and to do things that you do frequently. So things that you're so used to doing, you could do with your eyes closed all of a sudden. I was like, oh, I can't remember how to do it. And it's very scary. I remember actually you telling me, I can't remember, it was a while ago now, that once you were in, you know, a few times you were in your car and you couldn't actually remember to open the door. I don't know if you remember yeah. me telling me Oh, the... the oh. I can't get the words out, sorry. That's another thing that I struggle with and still do on HRT. I mm. lose, like, it's like my, the words get lost between my brain and my mouth. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's actually very common. And, and we see and speak to a lot of women who worry that they've got dementia. And obviously we know dementia does increase in the menopause. It's far more common in women. And there are a lot of women who find this word finding really hard and someone said to me recently it's like monkey chatter I open my mouth and all these words come out but it's not what I wanted to say <laughs> <laughs> so relatable. Um, yeah but that's because we know hormones are so important and you know it makes sense really if you haven't got the hormones how can you 
what they're saying, processes occur in the body. And the problem is when it's older women, in, when we're in our 50s, people will go, oh, yeah, well, that's because you're a bit older, you're slowing down. But actually, when you're in your teens and 20s, you've got your whole life ahead of you. You can't be not remembering how to find the handle of the inside of a car door so you can open the door, you know, or how to do simple tasks because then it will make work difficult, but also it will make life very difficult. Yeah, I think... So I was in not a new relationship. I'd been with my partner for a couple of years when the diagnosis came, but it still has such an impact because I felt crazy. And she probably thought I was too, because I I didn't feel like I could regulate myself and my emotions properly and, you know, remember things. And it's hard enough when you've been with somebody for years and years and years and you're in your fifties and they've known you for all that time and can see the changes. But when you're young, it's, I felt like it was even more of an impact on our relationship. Yes, and it often really does. And your partner's been incredibly supportive, but there are a lot of partners that aren't. And we've just done a survey actually with a family lawyer that I know looking at divorce and unsurprisingly divorce rates increase in the 40s. And there are a lot of people who are not understanding that it's related to their hormones. And I mean, I know even the short time I was perimenopause or my husband just annoyed me in everything that he did. And I, the times my children still remember, I just would shout at him for no reason. But it's like I had this angry demon in my head telling me that it was quite all right to be cross. And I think it is a common nature, isn't it, that you take things out on your nearest and dearest because you can sort of get away with it. But actually, you forget what it must be like for them. Yeah. You know, it's really difficult because they're seeing someone that they love and have chosen to be with, but that person's changed in front of them. And, you know, a lot of partners then think, oh, what is it, me? And maybe I've changed rather than this person's changed. And it can be really difficult. And certainly we see a lot of women who are in a same-sex relationship who are both menopausal together. And that that's be difficult. really difficult. <laughs> yes, because neither of them can quite work out what's happening. And it usually takes one of them to come and seek help. And then, you know, it all and I think even and... when you know what's wrong, it's still hard to regulate that. When you have that kind of mm-hmm. rage burning in your chest that's completely irrational, monitoring that can be quite hard, yeah. even though you know what's going on. It's kind of hard to rein it in sometimes. Absolutely. And I think the thing with people who are young, then they're just not understood and and I'm doing some research with an amazing researcher actually who's in Australia looking at the gender bias and the gender inequality for research but also for women and the mislabeling of women as well because we're not often listened to and then women are given labels such as depression or there's now a term called MUS which is medically unexplained symptoms and a lot of women we see have been diagnosed with that because no one can put them into a box you know you're not definitely clinically depressed you know you're having maybe some muscle pains but you haven't got arthritis you're having some urinary symptoms but you don't have a urinary tract infection you're having headaches but you haven't got a brain tumour you're having palpitations but you haven't got heart disease so then you either the choice is no one listens to you because they say well you haven't got anything wrong with you because it doesn't fit into their categories or you just go and think well no one's listening so then you're labelled with something that you're probably not and we know from some studies it can take an average of seven years for people with POI to be diagnosed and at least seven to ten consultations and that research came out a few years ago now but I don't actually know that it's got any better. No and it's just demoralising for those people that have to spend all that time knowing that something's wrong and 
nobody actively listening to them. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, we've got the women's health strategy that the government have worked on and they've had over 100,000 responses to it. And normally when the government puts something out, it can have a you know, handful or a few hundred responses, maybe a thousand, but they're huge. So people are listening, but women's health in general, not just menopause, is really very neglected and there's a huge amount of work to do. But a lot of, I think, it is common sense medicine and listening medicine as well. You know, I'm not doing a new type of brain surgery that you have to be really technical for, just allowing women to have their own hormones back and looking holistically at how we can improve their future health. So when you did get help, I know you had to pay privately initially, didn't you, to get help? And that doesn't come cheaply. So it was a big financial sacrifice, wasn't it, for you? Yeah, it was at the time. For the interim, because we didn't know how long we'd have to pay but well, I'd have to pay for the medication we did downsize to make sure we had that money available so you sold your house yeah it just it, it made it the easiest way to do otherwise they would have been as well as the stress of not feeling brilliant there's then all the extra money that would needed to be found for treatment and rather than have more things to worry about we thought mm-hmm. that the alternative would be better to downsize until we knew that I'd definitely be eligible for treatment on the NHS. So that makes me, I just want to cry, it makes me really sad because, you know, I'm here founding and running a private clinic and, you know, the prices are expensive, but overheads are huge and we give a lot of money out, as people know, to balance app to fund that. We don't have external funding for it for our free education programme. But no one should be paying. You know, my biggest marker of success would be to close my clinic because it means that people would get help elsewhere. But actually, all we're doing is expanding and expanding because more and more women need help that they're not getting elsewhere. And we're doing a lot of work behind the scenes to work out how we can reduce costs and make it easier and allowing women to have more choice. But for somebody as young as you to have to sell your house so you could get HRT, which is available through the NHS, so they're very low cost. A lot of oestrogen preparations cost £4 a month, progesterone £4 a month. Testosterone can be a bit more expensive, but 50p to a pound a day. So we're not talking about, you know, we always see, don't we, people who have want to fund a very expensive cancer treatment, maybe to go abroad, and it's hundreds of thousands of pounds. And I can understand then when people have to really crowdfund and sell everything. But actually, you're talking about some basic hormones. Like, I can't imagine if you had an underactive thyroid gland, you'd have to do that. Or diabetes. <laughs> yeah. So I think the system's failing. So you got your HRT and started to feel better, but quite rightly so. The people that you saw, like we do in the clinic, we hope that NHS would take over your care. So you went to go and see a gynaecologist, didn't you, in a hospital, hoping that you would get help, and it didn't really happen, did it? Yeah, so I did go to see a gynaecologist on the NHS as per the advice of the private clinic that I was seeing. And when I went to this appointment, he was quite an old man. And he said that I was on far too high a dose and that I shouldn't be on testosterone for the main reason being it's too messy. He doesn't like it. He doesn't think I should be on transdermal HRT because again, that's messy. I should just swallow a tablet and he said, there's no such thing as like body matching HRT. There's no HRT that's better for you. He said, all HRT is synthetic. It doesn't matter. But yeah, I needed to completely reduce the dose down to barely anything. And that the private clinic were just taking advantage of me, apparently. Which is 
a horrible thing actually to hear, isn't it? When all you want to do is get help. And I think, you know, it's very hard, obviously, for healthcare professionals to know everything about every condition and treatments change. You know, I mean, I'm quite old. And when I started prescribing HRT, it was very different to the HRT I prescribe now. And the HRT, as you know, from 20 years ago, the WHI study, very different. If it's horses' urine, <laughs> came from pregnant horses' urine, and it was tablet. You know, we're fast forward and it's the same as the hormones that ovaries normally produce and it's through the skin, so there's no risk of clot. So it's comparing apples with pears anyway. But it, it is, people seem to get very scared about the dosing that people have of oestrogen. And I know when you couldn't get it then, actually, that's when you got in touch with me. And because of the work I do with NHS England, I actually presented you as a case with your permission to NHS England to say this lady who was, I can't remember how old you were then, maybe 24, is unable to get HRT, which she needs to be on until at least the average age of her menopause, which is 51, but probably lifelong. So for the next 25 years, it is not reasonable for her to buy HRT privately when she's already had to sell her house to get HRT. And also she's got a whole career ahead of her. She wants to carry on working. And at the minute, she can't work without HRT. So what are you going to do about it? And it went up to Ruth May, who's the chief medical officer. It went to um, where you live, the prescribing. And I had some quite heated discussions, actually, with the lead of the CCG because their prescribing guidance was quite out of date. And it was suggesting the older types of HRT should be given first. And actually, the type that they were recommending is more expensive than what you were on as well. <laughs> and also about the dosing as well, because they were saying you shouldn't have above life licensed dose but we do know that actually a lot of young women need higher doses just to function which is absolutely fine and safe um, because all we're doing is giving you back what you should be producing and, and often we do estrogen levels and people tend to need a higher dose and that's fine as long as you're not having any bleeding or any problems then it's perfectly fine to do that so it has been a real battle and then you went to see a different specialist didn't you an endocrinologist and things thankfully have got easier haven't they yeah thankfully thankfully yeah. it's not a battle much more but it shouldn't be a battle should it no it really shouldn't be a battle and I think the hardest thing is as a female being told that you're not eligible or you're not licensed to have these hormones that you desperately need and you have people or the healthcare professionals, doctors telling you that you don't need them because it might have an adverse effect on your health long term. And I think as a woman, that should be my choice. It's my choice yeah. to make whether I want those hormones because of the effects that it's having on me now not having them. And whether I think that that risk, you know, whatever that may be, whether that is a high enough risk to negate the need for it or whether it's something I still want. It shouldn't be for somebody else to make. And I think that's crucially important, everything that we do. And I was lecturing yesterday at the Royal Pharmacology Society meeting in Liverpool and a lot of it was about patient choice. And the other thing is we're trying to do some work about what are the risks of not taking HRT? So actually for you as a young woman, you don't really have any risks of taking HRT because you're just replacing what's missing. So we know there's no increased risk of breast cancer. There's no risk of clot or stroke because you're having it through the skin. So actually the risks of not having adequate HRT 
are, as we've already said, risk of all these diseases, but also risk that you'll lose your partner, risk that you'll lose your job, risk that your poor mother is going to, you'll be dependent on your mother probably to look up. You know, there's all these other risks, but it then does boil down to choice. And, you know, we've got shared decision-making guidance from NICE. We've got the GMC's consent. So we are allowed to, as patients, make choices that are individualised to us. And that's where I feel it's let you down, really, the system, because you weren't allowed to make a choice, were you? No, and I think when something has such an impact on your life, I felt like I couldn't function without those hormones. As a person, I was I felt so low. I just, my brain didn't work. And I think any risk I would have taken to be able to live again. Yeah. And so this is where education comes in, isn't it? I think it's, you know, I do a lot of work, obviously, with educating women, but also with educating healthcare professionals. And a lot of people I talk to, healthcare professionals, don't even realise that, you know, the HRT we prescribe is very different, is very safe, and also that it's very cheap. I think because we prescribe it in the private clinic, they always think it's going to be expensive stuff. But this isn't anything different to what we prescribe in the NHS, And it's allowing people to know that is really important and other healthcare professionals because it's really important, I feel, as a healthcare professional that I'm giving people choices that allow them to improve their future health as well (laughs) because we don't want to be a drain on the NHS. You know, you don't want to have osteoporosis when you're older or heart disease. You don't want to be a drain on your partner because you've got dementia. You know, we want to be the best version of ourselves and if that means having our own hormones back age 20... Isn't that okay? Why is that not allowed? You know, I know. I, I just, I don't see why there is an issue surrounding it. <laughs> You'd think it would just be a given. Yeah. In fact, someone said to me recently, it's quite a famous person, but I won't say who it was, said to me, Louise, in 10 years' time, we'll all be laughing about this because it's so obvious what you're trying to do. But the blocks that you're getting are just phenomenal. Well, why is this? And, you know, I wish there was an easy answer because women know what they want. A lot of healthcare professionals are learning what's needed, but there is still a block by the establishment and by others. And and then I feel like it's just been pushed back on women. And, you know, you could have, as a late teen, just left that clinic when you first got seen. And I dread to think what your life would have ended up like. It's quite scary, isn't it? Yeah. I think people are so scared of the unknown and scared of starting to prescribe all these hormones. They worry that it will have the wrong impact and don't give it the opportunity to work. I think as well, you have that acetylene in period, don't you? And mm. so many people throw in the towel because it can aggravate your symptoms first rather than just persevering because it does take time to settle. Yeah, and that's really good advice, actually, for whatever age. Um, we often see people who say that they got worse before they got better. And I always say, well, why didn't you you know, tell us. And they said, no, no, because you always said, give it three to six months. And it really can take that time. And often with time going forwards, people need different doses as well. And I know when I started my HRT, after about three weeks, my mother-in-law, who's been taking HRT for 50 years, came round and she said, oh, are you feeling better, Louise? And I said, I remember I was chopping up some vegetables for supper and everything was an effort, just cutting onion was like, oh, and when she asked me, I just went, do you know what, Kay? No, I'm not. <laughs> and I thought, this is just a waste of time. And it wasn't until I got the right dose and then added in testosterone and then waited. And it must have been about nine months to a year that I just thought, 
wow, I wish I'd started this 10 years ago when my youngest child was born because I'm sure my hormones just fell off a cliff then. But I didn't know, I didn't realise. I thought I'd just be tired because I've got three children and I'm busy and then my work's escalated. So it's not often until you, because it can be a very gradual increase as well. And then, you know, there's still life that is going to make you feel down and frustrated. And, you know, if I don't do yoga at least two times a week, I know my mood will go. So I can't blame my hormones for that. That's just because I'm not exercising or if I eat the wrong food or if I don't sleep properly. But that's why it's really important we get this joined up care. But even if I did yoga seven days a week and ate the best diet and slept well without my hormones I still wouldn't feel well and I'd have these health risks so it's really important isn't it that as women who are patients that we can work it out for ourselves but then get the help that we want when we see somebody yeah it is important and I I think as well because it's so hard to recognize by the time you realize what's happening you're so far down the line already that it can be hard to take that step and ask for help. I totally agree. And I think that's a really good point. And I think, you know, you having your partner, but also your mother, and it often we need to look at others to help us. And I think that's where a lot of the work we're doing with education, with the Balance app, with the website, with these podcasts, is allowing anyone to sort of join that conversation and look out for others, actually, because that's really important. So, I'm very grateful, Georgina, for you giving up your time and talking so openly, actually. And I, it is always difficult talking about yourself, but especially when you're so young as well. So I know this will have really helped other people. But there might be people who are listening whose daughters or friends or relatives or work colleagues might be young and not being able to receive help. So just before we finish for three take-home tips, if we may, what three things would you say you think others should do that have helped you to get on the right course for getting better treatment? I think one thing will be to talk openly, especially with like older females that they're close to, maybe the mums, their nanas, other people like that. Because I remember sitting in a doctor's appointment and it was just quite a simple question. I think the doctor asked me, well, do you have any vaginal dryness? You know, when you're having sex, is it lubricated enough? And I remember thinking, I've got no idea what what should it be like I've had hormone issues before I was sexually active (laughs) I don't know (laughs) so I think being able to talk openly is is one thing that is really important and to know even then what periods should be like how regular they should be because not everybody does get the opportunity to know that really I think secondly you have to really research I think you have to have the knowledge there to be able to champion for yourself Mm. because if you can't advocate for yourself you're unlikely for other people to do that and thirdly definitely be patient with your HRT (laughs) just find the right one (laughs) yeah that's really great advice and I know that will help so many people so thank you again Georgina and just keep going because you've got such a great future ahead of you so thanks ever so much for today thank you so much for helping to raise awareness oh thanks Georgina take care you too for more information about the perimenopause and menopause please visit my website balance-menopause.com or you can download the free balance app which is available to download from the app store or from google play Mm -hmm.